Welcome to the aggressive life. You know, we live in a world that's unfortunately incredibly cynical about success. If someone is doing well, it's almost second nature to jump to negative conclusions. They must be cheating the system. They must have ripped somebody off. They must be cutting corners. They must be doing something underhanded. But loserliness has never been next to godliness. In fact, I believe God wants you to succeed. And the quicker we can make peace with that, the quicker we'll be on our way to a more aggressive life. Today, we're going to spend time with one of history's giants when it comes to the topic of success. He's known as America's rabbi. Rabbi Daniel Lappin is a noted scholar and author. His best-selling books, Thou Shall Prosper, and his sequel, Business Secrets from the Bible, they offer practical principles that have led, seriously, thousands and thousands of Jews and Christians closer to the heart of their respective faiths. And he's helped put a lot of people on the path to business and personal success. It's really odd, Dirt. You know, you talk about success. Like, there's some people, like, even think the word success is a dirty word. You know what I'm saying? That's right. Yeah, totally. It's, it's just weird. 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 Really weird. <laughs> uh, he's born in South Africa. He came to the United States a young man, and he became the founding rabbi of the Pacific Jewish Center in Venice Beach, California. He continues to be a source of wisdom through his own weekly podcast, TV show, and online teaching curricula. I'm excited to be with Rabbi uh, Daniel Lappin today. We we met a number of years ago, and uh, I was involved with an entrepreneurial, I still am involved in an entrepreneurial uh, startup accelerator organization called Ocean. We used to do a conference, and Daniel was going to come and uh, and speak at it, and it just didn't work out. It was a last-minute thing, but he was up for it, so we've kind of emailed over the years. So, Rabbi, now we don't just get to email. We actually get to talk, and I get to sit under the succulent success stories with which you are going to bless us with today. Welcome to the Aggressive Life, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Thank you very much indeed, and I've really been looking forward to this for, well, as you say, for a couple of years already, actually. <laughs> right. It's excellent. It's, it's fantastic. Let's, uh, let's get into a word that's um, controversial. It's the P word, thou shalt prosper. That is, to many people, a dirty word. Why? Well, uh, it's not nearly as dirty as the word for which it sort of serves as a more polite euphemism, um, the really dirty word is money. Because mm, people don't want money anymore, you're saying. People don't like uh, money. Because they distrust it uh, on a number of different levels, you see. Um, when a quarterback gets a multi-million dollar contract, every guy reading about it who's watched him on uh, television football says to himself, man, I can't do that. You know, I could never run. I, yeah, he's, he's incredible. And so it makes sense for him to get the big bucks. But when they hear that uh, the CEO of a large business corporation um, has a, uh, a very large salary t- together with stock options and uh, performance bonuses, what most people say is, I don't get it. You know, I can also sit in the corner office on the top floor and I can answer the phone and I can make decisions as well as anybody. I don't see why he should be paid, you know, a, a hundred times more than the uh, than the janitor. But nobody says, 
I don't get why the quarterback should be paid 100 times more than the groundsman, and I don't get why uh, the movie star should get paid a 1,000 times more than the guy who operates the lighting equipment or the sound guy. And that's because they see what those people do. But people don't have an understanding of uh, what business is, and they they don't begin to understand. You know, think of the time um, back in the early 2000s, financial problems, and, and a big investment house loses the right to participate in treasury auctions. They've uh, fallen foul of some regs, and they've they've upset some politicians. And uh, it's going down the tubes, and large sums of money are being lost, and, and there's just general panic on Wall Street. And they get Warren Buffett, and they uh, they ask Warren Buffett if he would take a salary of a dollar a year to come and be the CEO of the uh, of the company to see it right and get it back on the rails. Warren Buffett does that, and instantly the hemorrhaging capital stops. Instantly the government says, okay, you can now come back to the treasury auctions. And uh, six months later, Warren Buffett could leave because he'd done the job. What is so special about Warren Buffett? And this is why um, it's hard to understand because it's very different. Mm. The characteristics that give value to the quarterback or to the movie star are primarily physical. Yes, visual. They're easy to see. Yep. The characteristics that made uh, Warren Buffett the man to rescue Lehman Brothers is something else, and that is that um, it's trust, it's credibility, it's track record, None of these things can be touched or measured in a lab. These are spiritual characteristics, not physical characteristics. And so people people tend to have trouble with that, number one. Can may I give you one more part to the answer? Yeah, yeah, please do. But I'll just add on what you said right there. You, I think you're right. It's... it's um People think, well, yeah, I could, uh, I could be CEO. No, you, you couldn't, you couldn't handle an, an investment call. You, you, you wouldn't know how to deal with investors who are looking to put billions of dollars in the line and give them a coherent understanding of your book and your vision. It, no, you, you could. I mean, there's, it, it is true. People just think senior and level even of if leadership you have the is technical easy. knowledge. Uh, you don't bring with it the you don't have credibility you don't and by the way the the contact list is hugely important right and so uh when when you succeed in making money it says uh, a whole lot more about you and that's one of the reasons that uh any guy who wanted to come and court my daughters one of my daughters um one of the very early questions I ask is, what do you do for God's other children? Looks at me weird. And I say, well, that's just a more realistic and accurate way of saying, what do you do for a living? Because it's not what you do for a living. It's what you're doing for other people. And he, uh, if, he ans- if his answer begins with the word, well, I kick him to the curb. He's not getting any nearer to my daughter. Hmm. Hmm. Because you should be able to explain what you do quickly and easily and eloquently and without hesitation and with a certain joy and passion in his voice what he does uh, to make money. And uh, and it tells me a lot of things. It tells me you've got persistence. You didn't chop and change. You, you threw yourself into a certain undertaking. It tells me that there are other people who trust you. Uh, it tells me that you're acquiring skills. So, yes, it's... It, I don't care whether you can dance or or whether you uh, can play good tennis. Uh, that tells me nothing. 
but if you actually make good money, and provided you don't make it by holding up a convenience store, then I know a whole lot about you already. That's one of the remarkable things. And and here's the the, the, the problem. And the problem is that people today, and this is because since the early 1960s, America has um, lost touch with God, lost touch with the world of the spiritual. And so uh, they yes. tend to understand only things that are physical, yep. if you like the performance of the quarterback. But even worse than that, they know that in the physical world, nothing can be made out of nothing. If you want to build a model airplane, you got to have a kit and glue. Um, you know, you want to build a house, you better find a way to get some uh, some uh, framing material and some cement and everything else you need. Uh, money is the only thing that can come into existence. Well, it's not true. It's not the only thing. But um, uh, it can come into existence without anything else being evident. What I mean by that is that uh, a saxophone is a physical object. We can weigh it. We can do experiments in the lab to see what metal it's made out of. A saxophone is purely physical. And so if I've got one on, on my table and then I turn around to uh, to talk to somebody, when I come back, the saxophone isn't there. It's on your table. I say, hey, why did you take my saxophone? And the only answer is that, yeah, you took it because you wanted it. Or, hey, didn't you get my check? I, I sent you a check. I paid you for it. Whatever it is. But there's no question that you took the saxophone that I had. Mm -hmm. And we've got to get this straightened out. But a tune is quite different. You know, I can whistle a tune at, all day at my work. And by the end of the day, you, you know my tune pretty well. And, and you kind of like it. And so you walk out of the office whistling my tune. You took nothing away from me. You got something from me. But nothing was taken away from me, as was in the case of the saxophone. So physical things can only be in one place at a time. Spiritual things can be in more than one place at a time. And so uh, to we don't take money, we make money. And I'll, I'll just give hmm. you a, a quick and easy example on this yeah. that I think your audience uh, will, will appreciate and enjoy. You know, I can watch my grandpa who was a traveling salesman uh, when he wasn't being a rabbi. And um, he, uh, you know, imagine that he knocks on the door of some house and a woman comes to the door and he says, hey, you got anything here you don't need? And she says, uh, well, um, yeah, kind of. Uh, we got an old table we don't need here anymore. And Grandpa Lappin says, uh, what are you doing with it? She says, well, on Tuesday, we're going to put it out in the alley and the city will come by and pick it up and take it away. And Grandpa Lappin says, uh, for free? And she says, of course not. They charge us $5 to take it away. So Grandpa Lappin says, tell you what, if you help me carry it out to my pickup, I'll give you $5. You know, and unless you have a PhD in economics, it's kind of easy to see how much better off this lady is. If you've got a PhD in economics, I'm not right. sure you can do this. But, right. but for any ordinary human being, she did not have to pay the city $5, so she's up 5 And then Grandpa Lappin gave her $5, so she's up 10 So because Grandpa Lappin knocked on her door, she's $10 better off than she was before. Now let's watch Grandpa Lappin stop at the hardware store. 
and he buys some paint and he buys some nails and he gives the hardware store a dollar and he goes out and he hammers up a wobbly leg and he, he paints up a, sight, a scratched surface of the table and he knocks on the next house. He says, hi, does anyone here need a table? The woman says, well, my daughter's getting married next week. I don't know if she's made arrangements for a table for her and her new husband's apartment. They say they call and she says, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, you know, we were going to buy a table at uh, at the Ethan Allen showrooms. Grandpa Lappin says, you know, how much are you going to pay for that. She says, uh, $20. Grandpa Lappin says, tell you what, come look at the uh, the table I got on my truck. Now, mind you, it had a wobbly leg I nailed up. It had a scratch top I painted out, but you could have it for $10. She goes and looks and she says, you know what? Why do I want to spend $20? I don't need to. I'll spend $10. we will we will take the table. So now just look and see uh, what has happened in aggregate to the economics of this little village because Grandpa mm. Lappin spent a little time here. Mm. Family number one is better by $10. Family number two is better off by $10 because they didn't have to spend anything. The Ethan Allen showroom's not in the discussion because nothing's changed for them. Whatever asset value they had in inventory yesterday, they got today, so they're out of the picture. But um, t- uh, family number two is now better off by $10. The hardware store is better off by $1. And now we got to do a calculation what Grandpa Lappin has in his pocket. You're asking me to do that math? $4. You, you, I, now, now I know you don't have a PhD in economics. <laughs> For sure. I, I'm, yes. I'm really nervous now. Is $4 the right answer? $4 exactly okay. right, of course. Okay. And and the easiest <laughs> way to do it is kind of a little bit backwards. I'm just, I'm just not ready to go toe-to-toe with the Jewish rabbi here. You know, like uh, you're Jewish. No, 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 no. You're, no, no, no. you're Listen, Jewish, so you're better at numbers than I am anyway. Money, you're better than I am. No, so we're I'm not. We're just all we're, we're, we're trying to we're trying to change the mindset <laughs> all right. of our audience. Start, start, a, start a racial stereotype there. Just I couldn't help it. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Jews, good with money. And it's absolutely true. And and I explain why that is. But uh, part of it is exactly what we're talking about. Here, Grandpa Lappin's got $4 in his pocket. First family is better off by $10. Second family is better off by $10. Hardware store is better by one. So the village is altogether better off by $21. And Grandpa Lappin's got four. And um, here's the interesting thing. In case you think this is like rabbinic smoke and mirrors, if you figure out, I once called eBay to ask them how many transactions are going on at any given second, and the answer is about 70,000. And so what that really means is that eBay is like a conglomerate of 70,000 grandpa Lappins working at the same time, because that's what they're doing. They're buying some things from some families, they're selling things to other families, and there's something in their pocket at the end of the day. Yeah, that's good. And so uh, there was nothing. Grandpa Lappin came to town with nothing in his pocket, nothing on his truck. He served family number one. He helped them out. He served family number two. And everybody's better off, including him. Money is not, you don't take money from somebody, you make it. The trouble is that if your viewpoint is totally secular, and you've been raised in a secular environment, then you assume that if that money's like a saxophone when really it's like a tune. 
And the result is that you look at somebody who's got money and you say, aha, he took it away from other people. Because otherwise, how could he have got it? And therefore, business people are greedy. They want more than their fair share. Yeah. And uh, they become advocates of socialism. They become easy, easy targets for venal and voracious politicians. So is that what you would explain, how you explain the rabid rise and in interest of socialism in our country? Is it's tied to... A lack exactly. of a spiritual narrative. Could just talk more about that. I agree with you entirely because uh, <clears throat> socialism is a system for a materialistic worldview. Hmm. Uh, what what I mean by that is that um, you know, imagine um, imagine a cow coming to the farmer and saying, you know, you've been taking too much of our uh, uh, of our milk. Me and the other cows, we got together, and we'd like to cap the amount of milk you can take from us at two gallons a day. Leave the rest with us. The farmer would say, you know, you dumb animal. You're only in the world because I arranged for the vet to impregnate your mother. You're only alive because I bring you food every day. You, you recovered from illness last winter because I brought you the medicine. And when you die, I'll haul your mangy carcass away. I own you. You don't tell me how much milk I can take. Hmm. And um, and that is really the viewpoint of a socialistic government towards its citizens. We educate your children. We'll take care of you in your old age. If you get sick, we'll take care of you. Everything's governmental. And this is what foolish people have asked for, so they get it. You want, we'll take care of your medicine, we'll educate your children, we'll give you social security, everything you need. You, and, if, and by the way, if you haven't got food for tomorrow, come on down, we'll give you food stamps. Hey, you need a cell phone? No problem. We'll give you two Obama phones. No problem. But we own you. Hmm. We own you. Yeah. And so uh, uh, taxes should be 100%. We should tax everything you've got. You're lucky we don't. And there's no reason why we shouldn't, because we provide everything you need, just like the cows. We take all the milk, we give the cow everything it needs. And so it boils down to a very fundamental question, uh, which uh, revolves around the first two chapters of Genesis. It's a very simple question, and it's a huge question. It's a huge question that's simple, and that is, how did we arrive on this planet? How come there are human beings on this planet? Now, I only know of two answers, and I mean, if there's a third one, I'll, I'll look like an idiot, but I don't believe there's anything more than two answers. Answer number one is, by a lengthy process of unaided materialistic evolution, primitive protoplasm turned into plumbers and proctologists. That's what it is. The only other possibility is that the good Lord created us in his image and placed us here. Those are the only two possibilities. If it turns out that the first explanation is true, that we are nothing but materialistic beings, I think I would probably become a socialist. Why not? Because then it, we're just like animals. We're just a bit more sophisticated than some animals. We're slower than some. We're quicker than others. We can't fly very well. Uh, so we're just another animal. 
and uh, and with animals, the great zookeeper or the great farmer in the Beltway, otherwise known as government, should take care of us. But animals, and to do to do that, they're entitled to everything we produce. But animals aren't socialists. They they eat what they kill. They don't they don't have they don't need to evenly that's, distribute that's what they really, kill. That's a really really good point. That the law of the jungle. Uh, which applies to animals is precisely not what socialism does, which is partially how socialism claims the highest levels of moral virtue. Yeah. Unlike animals, we're taking care of the uh, uh, of of those that cannot uh, take care of themselves, and so the so animals in their own jungle lives are not socialists. That's true. But domesticated animals that farmers or zookeepers look after are uh, treated as if they were in a socialistic system. Every single elephant gets the same amount of hay, depending on his weight. Every cow gets the same amount of food. Um, There is no recognition that a cow might choose something else. And so that's why I don't want government telling me from each according to his ability and to each according to his need, because you have no idea what my needs are. Well, not just my needs. You have no right to tell me to limit the things that I want to go get. Why? Yeah. You might say, why is why is this on the aggressive life? So I'm like, hey, Brian, since when are we getting into economics and all that stuff in the aggressive life? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. One thing I know is that you need money. That's one thing I know. Another thing I know is you need a certain level of ambition. And if you're happy with the level of money you have right now, great, that's that's fine. There's Bible verses talk about contentment, so that that's fine. But what I wanna do is I wanna have an episode here where you would see it's okay to want more. It's okay to be rewarded for your labor. It's okay to reward other people for their labor. It's okay to have a disparate a disparity in income between people who have different efforts and have different jobs. I want our listeners to at least have one voice that's spiritually rooted. That's me. Actually, we have two now. We have some 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 differences in our faith as a, as a Jew and a Christian. I at least want people to have two two voices that say, "Hey, God likes you." And you can succeed and he can like you maybe even more, or at least he's not going to dislike you because you're succeeding. Be aggressive. Go after something. So Rabbi, friend Rabbi Daniel Lappin here has given us some, just some intellectual fodder to keep the weenie boys and weenie girls at bay who want to keep us down on the bottom rung. I'd go even further than you. I don't think it's okay to say I'm satisfied with where I am. Hmm. Why not? I'll tell you why. Because the last chapter of my book, Thou Shall Prosper, is entitled, Do Not Retire, Never Retire. And here's what's wrong with retiring. Um, you know, there's a, uh, I've got a water leak in one of my bathrooms, and I do what I always do. You know, I call up Sam the plumber, and, um, and I say, Sam, my wife's really upset. We've got the water just gushing out. It's making a huge mess. And normally Sam would be there within about an hour and the problem would be solved. Today, Sam tells me, Rabbi Lappin, uh, haven't you heard? I've retired. Hmm. And my response is, why? And he says, because I got enough money. And I say, how dare you, you selfish wretch. Hmm. You're not who I thought you were at all. 
I thought you really cared about me and that you were interested in making my home function smoothly. I mean, obviously, I understand I paid you and you, you run a business at a profit, but I always had the feeling you actually cared. And now I see you only cared about you. When you had enough money, you took your ball and you went home. Mm. You're out of the play box. Wow. So um, that's pretty pathetic. Wow. In the final analysis, what this all boils down to is that uh, you have to be able to identify what money is. Now, if you had a, a graduate degree in economics, you would tell me, well, money is a universal medium of exchange, blah, 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 and uh, we'd get absolutely nowhere at all. No, money, provided you didn't get it by pointing a gun at somebody's head, and provided you didn't defraud anybody, you got that money by serving another one of God's children. And so money, above all else, money is not strips of colored paper. It's not metallic discs that clink in your pocket. It's, it's not the orientation of iron oxide molecules on the magnetic stripe behind your credit card. It's not ones and zeros on the hard drive of your financial institution, no. Money is evidence that you served another human being. In the case of Grandpa Lappin on that day we looked at, he served two, two families he served. He made life better for two families. And so he ended up with money in his pocket. That's what money is. Yeah, it's an interesting, um, interesting thought. I heard this from our mutual friend, Kalev Myers, another Jew who lives uh, in the Holy Land, and maybe he was just quoting you on this, but he was a he was interesting how he put it. He said, "You know who who served more people, uh, Bill Gates or Mother Teresa?" You know, uh, you're like, yeah, that's mm, in my book. He, that's uh, in your book. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, and what you're saying is money showed that Bill Gates served more people because more people used his product and had a, yeah. their life benefited than Mother Teresa, who obviously that's had an right. amazing I'm life. I'm not saying. Uh, by the way, Kalev told me he was going to use that, and I said that's fine. But um, the uh, I'm not saying that Bill Gates is a, a better saint than Mother Teresa. I have no idea. God hasn't shared his info on that with me. But I do know who has served more human beings. There's no question about it. Half a billion people are are using Microsoft software at least. And uh, how many people did Mother Teresa serve? You know, a lot of people in in the hellhole of Calcutta, a lot of people, how many, a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand? You want to tell me she served a hundred thousand? I'll tell you what, I'll give you a million. But she never served a billion. Yeah. Yeah, well, so, uh, yeah. yeah, somehow that service, though, is more altruistic. And it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. I, had a, I have a good friend of mine. He tells a story regularly about how he was working to um, to be able to retire. He's got a uh, development company. It's doing really, really, really well. And he's doing really, really well. He's got a lot of jack. And he told me one day, he said, yeah, I'm getting to a place where, you know, I'm going to be uh, retiring and I want to go work for a nonprofit. And he tells a story, I don't even remember it. He, he says, I looked at him and said, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. You're right. <laughs> and, and he looked at me like, oh, uh, I said, I said, Steve, you you do what you do really well. Like no, no one, no one else does what you do as well as you do, do it. You're serving and blessing a lot of people and you're making money. You know how many people who are in nonprofit world who would love to do what you're doing, who can't do what you're doing? 
if you really want to have an impact, make as much money as you can and give the nonprofits you want to work for because there's plenty of people who fill those jobs. What you're doing is amazing. Even before he gives it away, he's served more people. Yes. Every single person who pays him for his services is benefiting. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. Yeah, but we just can't we can't see it that way. It's like unless it hurts or it's somebody who's poor, it's not serving somebody. Okay, so people have to understand that altruism uh, counts with God, but less so with people. Uh, meaning that um, you know, I would much rather somebody does me a huge favor, but somewhat selfishly because he benefits from it, than somebody who does me a teensy weensy little favor from the goodness of his heart. Uh, we, we human beings must judge one another by our actions, not what's in the heart, because we don't know what's in other people's heart. Most of the time, I'm not even too sure what's in mine. Yeah. Uh, so God judges hearts for sure. But when we judge people, it should be uh, by actions. And what that means is that when the shopkeeper puts a lovely new pair of shoes on my feet with the lights in the heel that flash when you walk, and I'm as cool as could be, uh, I should really thank him. And it, it is callous and dishonest to say, oh, well, he did it to make his profit. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know what's in his heart. What I do know is he did me a favor. He did, he did me good. Mm. That's the key thing. That's how we should look at it. So um, uh, we, we, what we have to understand is that God says at the very beginning, it's the very first time God uses a negative. Like everything God sees, eight times he says it's good. The uh, light is good, and the seas are good, and the animal, everything is good. The very first time we see God saying something isn't good is it's not good for the man to be alone. And that's, that's not only a prescription for Adam's matrimonial prospects. No, that is God saying, I don't want people to be disconnected from other people at any point. And I'm going to give you two huge incentives to make sure that you don't isolate yourself from other human beings. One incentive is money and uh, making a profit, making money, earning money is wonderful. Just watch your son or your daughter the first time you get them a job as a teenager and they come home with their pay and you just see how much taller they stand. Making money is wonderful. Now, winning money isn't. People who win the lottery never have good lives after that, almost never. That's right, yeah. But um, making money, fantastic. And uh, that's a gift of God because if you decide to isolate yourself from other people, there's one thing I know for sure about you, and that's you're going to be very, very poor. The yep. most reliable correlation of people who make a lot of money is they know a lot of people. They retain a lot of friendships. They mm. maintain relationships. That is the most important thing. And that's exactly what the good Lord says. I want you not to be alone. And so here's the thing called money and business. And the only way, making it is a lot of fun. And the only way to do that is to be good to other people. Mm. I want you to be obsessively preoccupied with the needs and the desires of my other children. And if you do that, you'll make money. That's my, I'm, I'm a really good boss. And money is an, it's an incentive for doing it, to do it, and yeah. a reward for doing it. And, and there's one other, uh, and that is sex. I want you to marry, and I'll give you great pleasure if you do that. But I don't want you to be alone. 
So uh, those are two incentives, and uh, and there are, are very strong similarities between uh, bringing a child into the world and creating a business. There's some very, very strong similarities. You can't do them alone. Uh, they take a while to yield their, their fruit and their benefits. Uh, you've got to collaborate with somebody else. It's um, uh, It's... You know, the conception is always more fun than the execution. And so uh, all of these things are, uh, are very real. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's a product I use every day. I started taking AG1 because I don't watch my diet too closely, but I know that I'm getting all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients I can, as well as hydrating with 12 ounces of water right off the bat at the beginning of the day. One scoop of AG1 has got 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and it doesn't taste like it. It actually tastes great. AG1 is a microhabit with big benefits. For less than $3 a day, you can take care of your health and invest in your future. It's recommended by professional athletes, health experts, and me. <laughs> To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packets with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. So go get you some. And let's get back to the show. Your book, Thou Shalt Prosper, subtitle, The Ten Commandments for Making Money. I want to go through some of these commandments because I think we have some people in the aggressive life, Dirt, who'd like to make more money. I, I hope so. Yeah, totally. Dirt, would you like to make more money? I, I'm listening. I'm taking notes right now. Okay, because yeah. I'm not going to pay you any more money, but maybe you can go make <laughs> I'm gonna go some. I'm going to go find a way to make some. No, no, Dirt, you got, you got some ways. Yeah, we, Dirt does a lot of content for me. He takes my, he takes my, um, my teachings. He hears me teach. And every time I teach, he's in the room, and he hears what I'm generating, and then he like writes them down, and now he's formulating those uh, in a book that we're, we're, we're doing. And, What's uh, yeah. his name? Uh, well, his name is Dirt, but uh, p- people know him by Caleb Mathis. Okay. Caleb, so. okay. Come work for me. I'll pay you more. <laughs> because if, if you can do what Pastor just told me you do, then you're but, you're you're worth a whole but, lot to me. But Rabbi, he has to work for someone who serves the risen Savior. He can't come work for a Jew who doesn't serve the risen Savior. Hey, if the money is better, I bet he can. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, let's talk about these. Uh, Caleb, you know my phone number. <laughs> I got it, I got it. That's, that's, uh, that, that reminds me of a joke. I'll, I'll tell you this joke. You hear the joke about the, uh, the, two, uh, the two Jewish kids who are, who are going down the road, and they see, uh, they see a, a, a sign outside the Catholic Church. It says, um, convert to Christianity and earn $5. And one kid says, the other Jewish friend said, what, what is this? I need, I need to go and check it. So, so he goes in the building, he talks to the priest for a while. He's in there doing whatever he's doing. He comes out and the little kid says, well, well, did, did you get the $5? And he says, is that all you people think about is money? <laughs> <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
<laughs> uh, okay, anyway, let's talk. I got to remember that one. <laughs> let's talk about the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments for making money. Let me let me give you one of these and let you riff on it, and then we'll see how many we get through in our remaining time. Are you up for that, Rabbi? Whatever you need. Okay. Uh, oh, here's one. Let's just start with number one. Ten Commandments to money. Commandment, commandment number one is believe in the dignity and morality of business. Maybe you've already talked yeah. about that. Yeah, sure. You know, one of the most important jobs that athletic coaches do is to uh, not only make sure that the athletes are good, but also to make them believe and know how good they are. Because um, you can't succeed if deep down you don't believe that you can. Yeah. You know, in, in May 1954... Roger Bannister ran the first four-minute mile in all of human history. Since that time, it's been done not 10 times, but hundreds of times. Virtually every college has a couple of athletes who can do a four-minute mile. Mm. So how come nobody did it before May 1954? It's very simple. Nobody believed that it could be done. Doctors actually assured us that the effort of trying a four-minute mile will kill the human being. And there's actually uh, one pathy newsreel uh, that you can see where uh, Roger Bannister breaks the tape at 3.59, drops to the grass, and the announcer says, well, he beat the four-minute mile, but he died doing what he loved. Oh, gosh. And Roger Bannister lay on the grass panting for about 20 seconds. And then he got up and ran a victory lap. (laughs) (laughs) And then he continued for a a long and prosperous career as a doctor. Um, So they were wrong, but everybody believed it couldn't be done. If you believe it can't be done, you'll never do it. Roger Bannister did only one thing, and that is he proved it could be done. And after that, it unleashed the capabilities of athletes all around the world. Well, it's really important because, you see, nobody, no decent human being can ever succeed at doing anything which deep in your heart you consider to be morally reprehensible. Mm-hmm. And that's why it is that pornographers will, will claim that they are fighting for First Amendment rights and they're trying to help Americans get in touch with themselves and all, all the other euphemisms they use because they why can't they just say, you know, you know, we are filthy peddlers purveying depraved materials to degrading human beings? Why can't they just say that? Because nobody can do well at anything that deep down you consider to be reprehensible. For survival, their minds convert what they do into something noble and uplifting. Uh, yeah, so people, therefore, these people I know, therefore, they go into ministry, they go into nonprofit, they go into the Peace Corps because they think it's dirty. Yeah, people who believe that making money is a manifestation of human greed, they'll never do very well at it. Mm. And so those 10 steps in my book are designed to take a person on the journey of re-inscribing your spiritual schematic because you cannot beat your spiritual schematic. If, if somebody had a dreadful upbringing and, uh, you know, I mean, just imagine the worst possible scenario as a child, 
uh, it's extremely challenging for that child to build a successful marriage and family. And in exactly the same way, when you've developed a negative spiritual schematic on money, it is very difficult to make money because you are so convinced that money is evidence of, of moral malfeasance that you don't want to do it. And you start taking refuge in your poverty. At least I'm a good human being. I'm not like those greedy, rich people who claw their way to success over the bodies of widows and orphans. Look, um, I'll tell you, you know, you spoke about differences between our faith. Let me tell you the big one. And I know this isn't the case in your church, even though I haven't yet visited you yet. But... Um, I certainly up till COVID, you know, I'm speaking at, at more than 20 churches a year, uh, both in the United States and mm. elsewhere. Yeah. And when I pull up at a church, within a few minutes, I know what the attitude of that pastor and the church is towards money. I'll see grass growing through the cracks in the parking lot. I'll see missing electric lights. I see a roof that could use a repair job. I see walls that could use some paint. And above all, I see a pastor's wife whose face is strained with the results of financial stress. Mm. And I know right away that that church is committed to the belief poverty equals virtue. Yes. You won't find that in a Jewish synagogue. Yeah, dude, dude, you're right. You're right. I mean, there is a there is a cynicism towards towards wealth and money uh, inside the church. There is uh, basically yeah. the question people have to ask themselves is, how did money come about? Did it come about while God's attention was distracted by some trouble spot in the Balkans? Yeah. And God turned back and said, oh, no, look what these wicked human beings have done. While I wasn't watching, they went and invented money. Or is money part of his plan for human economic interaction? And given that um, all uh, the, the Hebrew scriptures, particularly the five books of Moses, are filled there are far more regulations about money than there are about dietary laws or sacrifices because an economic system is what keeps people together. And that's why the book of Ruth yeah. starts off with the idea that there was no functioning government, there was no morality, and the first verse ends with the words, uh, and there was a famine in the land. Economic recession follows moral failure. Inflation is nothing but a moral failing on the part of government wanting to spend money it doesn't have. That's all it is. And so um, we, we've got to understand that God intended us to have money. And by the way, uh, there's no way you can leave one day as the Lord's day without working without money. Because if you're not going to use money, then we are nothing but hunter-gatherers. And squirrels don't stop working on Wednesdays. Mm, yeah. You cannot. The only way you can stop working for a while is if you have a bank account with money in it. Because radishes and cheese don't last. They spoil. Money lasts, provided you don't have a dishonest government that inflates its value. Yeah, it's it's always been interesting to me how 
as a as an obvious small minority of the world's population, <clears throat> Jews uh, have a, a, a very high level of representation in the upper echelon of wealth, a very, very, very high. I mean, you just took a look at New York real estate as an example, the most expensive real estate in the country and, you know, disproportionately Jewish held by far. And then on the other side, you look at Christianity, which is inversely the absolute most dominant religion in America and in the world. I mean, Islam has made some strides on it, but, you know, Christianity has just been kind of king of the hill in terms of numbers. And, and, you, you'd have a hard time looking at the top of any who's who wealthy people in America and really seeing an Orthodox believing Christian there. How can it be that we have a high, high percentage of the world's population, but we can't make people who make money? What do you, what do you think it is? It's not quite as bad as you're saying. I mean, you're okay. asking a good question, but on the plus side, let's remember that um, uh, there's a huge difference between countries that were rooted in Judeo-Christian thinking. In fact, all of what we call the West, you can divide the world into the West and the rest. And the West is characterized as being founded on Christian values. You know, it might have been Catholicism uh, in in some places like like Belgium or South Ireland uh, and Protestantism in uh, Holland and Sweden and parts of Germany and so on and so forth. But the fundamental difference between financially successful countries and financially unsuccessful countries um, is exactly that. It's that uh, the financial successful ones are either Jewish like Israel or Christian like all of Western uh, of Western Europe and the Western world. And, uh, and it is precisely a biblical belief that structures the spiritual schematic of being able to... Look, there's a reason that the Industrial right. Revolution took place in Christian countries. There's a reason that 97% of all the scientific and technical and medical discoveries in the thousand years leading up to the First World War all were done not only in Christian countries and within Christendom, but mostly and usually by Christian scientists like Isaac Newton. Uh, Whereas Islamic countries never figured out how to build a bicycle factory, let alone a chip fabrication plant. There's a huge difference, and uh, and as a matter of fact, the difference between Holland and Belgium I mentioned uh, is very significant as well. Right. I, I totally get that the Bible lays out a structure for how a society can thrive, and those structures have enabled societies to thrive. I'm just saying, just my anecdotal evidence, <clears throat> it seems to me the higher you rise in wealth in America, the higher unlikelihood that you are a Christian. No, there's no question about it. Jews are disproportionately successful. The Forbes 400 list, you know, given that Jews are one and a half percent of America's population, the Forbes list of the 400 richest richest Americans should have six Jews on it. Hmm. It never has less than 60. There's usually about 100. Hmm. So it's a massive overrepresentation. There's no question about it. And that's because Jews understand how money works. I, I can't speak for I also think it's because Christians go passive. I think Christians go passive. That, that's, that's why I have this podcast. I'm trying well, to like I, you know, One of the here. reasons I've been so looking forward to being on this show is because of its name. How did you get to call it the aggressive? Like, you're right. You have to be. But 
Uh, just, uh, it's just a word I've I've always liked, and I always thought it it produced fruit in my yeah. life. And so let's let's put it out there, even though it's not a faith podcast per se. I'm certainly a person of faith, and uh, it's kind of a head tilt because people think aggressive. They think of physically domineering somebody. No, it's saying something like, "I would like to have more money. I'm yes. going to figure out how to get more money instead of passively wait for the government to get more money to me." Yeah, everybody should want more money. Somebody says, well, isn't enough enough? Um, it, it is if you're, a, if you're a person who's focused on making and loving. If you know you love the money, I guess enough is enough. But if you're focused on serving other human beings, how can enough ever be enough? Right, because that profit ties to someone served. Okay, let's let's get another one of your Ten Commandments. This is, this is fantastic, uh, Rabbi. Uh, your, one of your, another commandment is... Get to know yourself. What's that to do with making money? Yeah. You're not going to make money without interacting with other human beings. Not possible. You are going to have to interact with other human beings. That's one of the reasons that, you know, somebody comes to me and says, Rabbi Lappin, I want your blessing on my new jewelry store. Oh, I said, it's great. Tell me where you're opening up your new jewelry store. I can always use some jewelry. And he says, well, we're opening it up in Death Valley, California. Excuse me? He says, yeah. He says, I've got the place to myself. There's not another jewelry store within 70 miles. (laughs) And I say to him, look, um, I wish you'd have spoken to me or or taken my uh, financial prosperity programs um, earlier because I would have told you to open your jewelry store on 47th Street in Manhattan. He says, Rabbi Lappin, are you crazy? Do you know how many jewelry stores there are on 47th Street, Manhattan? And I say, as a matter of fact, I do. There are nearly 800 stores, 800 jewelry stores on 47th Street in Manhattan. And... uh, and he says, why would I go and put another one there? I said, precisely because the number of customers that are drawn to that area who are looking for jewelry because they know they will find something vastly exceeds the dilution factor of the numbers. What is more, if somebody, a customer comes into your store and wants a, uh, a three amethyst ring and you have nothing like that, but you know that John down the block has... You'll send a messenger over. You'll say to John, John, do me a favor. I'll work out the details with you afterwards, but send me over the amethyst. I've got a customer for it. And all of this interaction is what makes it work. That's why cities are where money is made, not sparsely populated rural areas. And so you've you got to connect with other people. Now, in order to do that, uh, you, you can't do that if you don't have a carefully uh, structured and disciplined and sculpted personality. For instance, if you come across as a selfish, venal person, nobody will do business with you. Hmm. So you got to know yourself and how you're coming off to people. In order to be able to interact with people economically, you've really got to get to know yourself well. And you've got to, with, with, with almost searing honesty, you have to do your self-appraisals. And I teach in the book how to do that, of course. Yeah, that, that's hard to do because very few people are self-aware. And the hardest people Only to work with— Only because in narcissistic occupations like academia and politics, you never actually have to do this. Hmm. 
Okay. It is specifically in business where you cannot compel or coerce anybody. You have to win in the marketplace that you need to do that by a pleasing personality. I love your line. Money is the consequence of doing the right things. And one of your uh, right things you mentioned, we'll make this the last one we talk about, is act rich, give away 10% of your income. Why? This is, this is a very big one. Uh, one of the many principles from ancient Jewish wisdom on making money is that you have to give before you get. At its most basic level, the shoe salesman will put the box of shoes in your hands before you take out your credit card. At its most basic level, there's a realization even on online marketing on the internet. You've got to give away stuff before you can get people to buy stuff from you. Everybody knows that. Mm. Yeah. Look look at how much value Amazon brings before you spend a dollar. You can do so much research on the product. Amazon gives you all that for free. And so if you can't build the giving muscle, you're not going to do well. Best way of building the giving muscle uh, is to give away 10%. The right way to look at it is that we have a wonderful boss. He's a boss who lets us work on a 90% commission. The 10% never did belong to me. And so um, uh, one of the least attractive traits in somebody is greed. It is very easy to carelessly and unintentionally radiate a, a selfish attitude that makes the, the person, hopefully your customer, feel uncomfortable that, that you're only caring about you. And so these are fundamental changes that have to take place in your personality so as that you can authentically radiate it. There are no tricks to play here. It's all depending on authenticity. And that is developed entirely by being a giver. And so uh, you're never going to make it if you can't give away 10% of your income. No matter how little you make to start with, you're, you're going nowhere. If you can't make yourself do that, it's hopeless. Yeah, part of the thing is when we give, uh, aside from people of faith tend to believe that God says, huh, I, I see what you're doing there, that you're on my page. Uh, that means something to me. You know, it's, it is, it is unbelievable. Who would ever invest in a business, give money in business, and then only expect 10% back? That's what God does if yeah. you're a person of faith. We believe God bless with, bless with everything. But it's also the idea of when we're giving, I find that I'm telling money that I'm in control of it instead of it being in control of me. When, a, when, yeah, when right. you're dating somebody and they're in control of you, you can't live without them. You, you, you can't share them with their friends. You just can't. But when you give something away, you're saying, no, you, you don't own me. I own you. And that's why I'm giving you away. That attitude can help make you money. It's also, by the way, if you're new in a new city, you will discover that the first people you get to know, you know, other than people you meet at work and so on, but the first people you'll get to know are the people that know you through your charity. Because it's not that easy to give away 10% of your money. It's not like you can stand on the street corner and give it away. You'll invariably start giving it away through organizations. You know, maybe you'll work with Rotary or, or, or through a church or something. And people notice charitable people because we like surrounding ourselves with generous kinds of personalities. And all of a sudden, you start giving away 10% of your income. People notice it. It's very hard to do it anonymously. And well, 
and you start and and people start seeking you out and i've i've had i can't tell you how many people write and tell me uh you know when i tell them what to do moving to a new city make sure you give and give through organizations so that people know you're a giver and uh they said unbelievable you know within my first 3 months in the city i was asked to join three different boards that's excellent so giving is part of god's plan for the whole system to work well my friend, this has been a invigorating discussion. If somebody wants to hear more from you, read more from you, reach out to you, just go and give ourselves give us a, give us a fat advertisement for yourself. Thank you. Yes. Well, of course, the 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 website is rabbidaniellappin.com. Now, you know, maybe you don't know that rabbi's got two Bs. Maybe you don't know how to spell L-A-P-I-N. So you can also go to the website, youneedarabbi.com. That'll work as well. <laughs> I got a rabbi. His name is Jesus. That's my rabbi. <laughs> Just go to rabbidaniellappin.com then. Right, uh, exactly. It's, um, it's, and um, uh, there you will find, first of all, uh, the books Thou Shall Prosper and Business Secrets from the Bible. Um, you will also find a lot of free material that I give you in order to make you be able to construct a superior spiritual schematic for creating revenue. And you can also take a online video program called the Financial Prosperity Program. It's uh, 10 hours of online video instruction where I go through much, much, much more than we could have covered today and, um, and equip people with things to completely transform their revenue model. Rabbi Daniel Lappin, amazingly generous to give us your time, give us your insight. Friends, I don't, I don't know how you take any issue with any of the wisdom this man has dropped on us. He has helped and served untold masses all across the world. It's it's really impressive. And here's the thing. Here's the thing, boys and girls. Here's the thing. The aggressive life isn't here to give you another new twist you haven't thought of before. Ooh, interesting. That may be true. Fine. That's not what the aggressive life is here for. The aggressive life is here because you should have gotten something that should now cause you to do something. That's there you right. go. Do something with these Ten Commandments. Make yourself some exactly. jack. Serve some people. Take care of your family. Live a life that's effective and, and and blessing the world and enjoying your life. Change something about your economic output. That actually is a very godly thing. And I am glad there's men on the planet that are speaking for God on this. And I think uh, our, my dear friend, the rabbi, Daniel Lappin, has done that. Rabbi, Thank you so much. We will see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Looking forward. God bless. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. The Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.